Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. Today's theme is experiencing God's deep work in the lion's den. Experiencing God's deep work in the lion's den. Now, we're living in difficult times, a revolutionary, actually, in terms of change. There's a convergence of just so many crises uh, at one time, but in particular, of course, is the uh, pandemic. Uh, as it continues to drag on as we approach uh, the end of the first year, and who could have imagined it would be lasting this long and the implications as as they still unfold uh, are still happening. And so it's a season of uh, shredding and endings and things falling apart and undoing, uh, actually of decay and limits. And so our contribution here at Emotionally Healthy Discipleship and, and this podcast, The Emotionally Healthy Leader, is really about discernment. You know, what's God up to and uh, what might Scripture and how might God have us see it? At the same time, it's all we're also about equipping, uh, equipping you uh, for this new day in which we find ourselves, this rapidly changing world. And this requires a new level of discipleship. Uh, as well as a new level of leadership. Uh, what may have functioned and worked before, uh, inadequate as it may have been, uh, in terms of shallowness or, or, or superficiality, uh, it is now very clear that the way that we have been doing discipleship as well as leadership uh, is inadequate for where we are in, in this large transition in which we find ourselves. So, You'll always find myself pointing you to a new new resource, a free resource on our website, uh, and today's no different. I want to encourage you to go to emotionallyhealthy.org, and let me invite you in particular to check out emotionallyhealthy.org slash team and look at uh, these three team transformational videos that actually can be used for you individually as well. Uh, and really, it's as if I we film them as if I was sitting in your room or with a staff team or a small team in particular, uh, to help uh, begin to get a grasp of emotionally healthy discipleship and leadership. So there's three of them right now on the website on Genogram, uh, beginning Sabbath, as well as developing a rule of life uh, to kind of expose you to this new, we call operating system, this radically different paradigm uh, of this long journey of leading from the inside out. Uh, so again, let me encourage you to check that out at emotionallyhealthy.org slash team. Today, I want to share with you a message from the book of Daniel, In the Lion's Den, uh, thus the title, Embracing God's Deep Work in the Lion's Den. The deep work is my concern, uh, and that's why I'm offering you this sermon or message today. I start the message by talking about three revolutions in the 1900s, the Industrial Revolution, the Sexual Revolution, and the Technological Revolution. <clears throat> I'm not sure what revolution... Uh, we're exactly in right now that's unfolding or what the name of it will be, uh, but something surely is unfolding. Uh, never before in history, as far as I know, has the global church experienced a global restriction on our church gatherings. Uh, some cases, uh, churches have forced to been closed and are still closed or going through an opening or shutting. In other cases, many others, it's limited to much smaller gatherings than prior to that. And uh, But all, all churches, I think, around the world have been changed in, in some way. So we're carrying questions, each of us. But I want to suggest to you that God has some questions for us. Uh, there's a deep work he's seeking to do in you and in me. And so the major prophets in Scripture uh, really speak to us, I, I think, in particular ways, because 
they each found themselves in extraordinarily difficult and extreme circumstances. And yet, in for each of them, and I'm thinking now, of course, Isaiah and Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Daniel, and today's message is on Daniel, they each became vehicles of prophetic revelation out of who they became from the inside out. And in the same way, I believe that's God's invitation to us, that he desires that you and I become vehicles of prophetic revelation to the world out of our unique context. But that means getting that means we may find ourselves, like Daniel, in lion's dens at times. So let me invite you to listen in uh, on this sermon. We have a lot to learn from prophets like Daniel for the days that we're living in today, because God has seeds for you uh, in the deep work that he wants to do in and through you. All right, if you need a Bible now, raise your hands. We're going to go to the book of Daniel, chapter 6. And uh, we've actually been in a series on the prophets since uh, last September, which we're concluding. We had some minor prophets, a few interruptions along the way. But I'd like to take this week and the next two weeks to follow to kind of bring it all together. And for those of you who are newer here, what we try to do over a long period of time as a teaching team is provide a healthy diet to the church. So we preach some series, we preach different books, but that's why we'd spend time like a year in the prophets because there's a lot of richness here that you tend never to get in a church if you only preach certain topics. That's why we're, we're there, healthy diet. So let's re- read, beginning in chapter 6, in this famous story of Daniel in the lion's den. And I'm going to begin at verse 16 and uh, go down to verse uh, 23. All right, Daniel 6. Thus says the Lord, verse 16. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the ring of the nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. The first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? And Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouth of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in your sight, in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, O king. And the king was overjoyed, gave orders to lift Daniel out of the pit, out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Amen and amen. All right. That's good. I heard a speaker this past uh, summer, a Christian sociologist, and and he was describing our culture. And he called it, uh, the 21st century, a perfect storm. And and, uh, it was an interesting way of looking at things. And he described the perfect storm as having three uh, qualities to it. He says, first, there was a, an industrial revolution in our world that began actually in the late 1700s and went through the 1800s and 1900s. And that was, that was the, you know, the development of mass production and factories and manufacturing on a scale never before seen in history. And uh, the focus uh, came into Western culture on you know, acquiring things, consuming, consuming, buying. And... Um, so I, my identity began to be I, I, I acquire things. I am what I acquire, what I earn. And then in the, in the 1960s, 
uh, we had something called the sexual revolution, which, uh, you know, sex became casual and recreational on a scale, you know, really never seen before uh, in Western culture. And yet things like, you know, divorce and, and you know, the pill and you know, pornography and just you know, lots of changes. And, and, and there, there was a shift, he said, and it became more my identity is not just I acquire things, but I acquire pleasure. You know, pleasure, what, what feels good. And then he printed this kind of a large, complex argument about, about technology, which really became, came in force in the 1980s, uh, which, as you know, is still unfolding today, where we began to relate to each other through a screen, instant access, everything's a click away. And, and so our identities became, I, I acquire pleasure, but now you've got the word quickly. Everything's quick. Click. And, uh, and so that's when something... We learned a phrase called road rage. That's when that kind of emerged, where, you know, people in front of us are not moving as fast as our technology. And you get crazy because the click, they aren't moving with the beep, you know. And that's when we had moves with a checkout lane at the supermarket. We have an express lane of 10 items, you know, and you get online with the 10 items. And if you're like me, I... You know, I, I count how many items that I really only have 10. But now, as things have developed, now I'm looking at the six-pack of Pepsi. And I'm saying, are they counting that as one? <laughs> Looks to me like six. Snuck into one. But it's this, 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 this world in which we live in is so far-reaching and all-encompassing about how we see ourselves in our lives that it's like we're in this ocean swimming, and we, we can't see it because we're in it. But we define ourselves and we live our lives on these values of I acquire things, I acquire pleasure quickly, are, are so deeply in our DNA that this individualism, this hedonism, this consumerism, it's just, it, it's in us that this revolution, his argument was that these three things, each one alone is massive, but when you put the three together, it was the perfect storm. It's a perfect storm. It's that big on its impact on 21st century culture. And these, this perfect storm threatens, as I thought about it, to devour us and spiritually destroy us. And so the problem is when you get involved with God, this is not God's agenda for your life. And God has a different purpose for you. He has a different way for you to go. And, and, and so... He has strange ways with us. And we get very confused because we're like, why is all this happening to me? And so the major prophets, partly why they're so important is, with their message is, things are not as they appear. That's the key. Things are not, if you get anything from this last year, things are not as they appear. So, for example, just take the four major prophets, and we've talked about all of them. You know, first we started with Isaiah. And Isaiah, and the guy was... Highly educated, you're pretty wealthy. He ends up getting sawed in two. I mean, talk about a bad ending. Sawed in two. I didn't see Chainsaw Massacre, but I heard it's a really gruesome movie. But he got sawed in two. But yet, out of his life came this incredible revelation was birthed about God is holy, God is exalted, God is high and lifted up. He, the nations are a drop in the bucket. There's no God like our greatness of our God. Then there was, you know, uh, Jeremiah, I mean, 50, 60 years, nobody listened to him, weeping prophets, man of sorrows, you know, ends up just a hard life for 50, 60 years. And yet 
he saw horrors in Jerusalem, but yet he, he has this God comes, bursts through him a revelation about God is good, God is good, and God is faithful. But it came out of a life that was just really hard. And, and then there was Ezekiel. Ezekiel, too, as a young man, lost everything. Your wife died young. Uh, but he had this revelation of the God of glory. And God is awesome. But yet it came out of a life that everything seemed upside down. And the same thing, finally, with, we're in Daniel now. And I picked the lions then on purpose. Because Daniel was single. And he was castrated as a young man so he could never marry. But he ended up becoming highly educated and very wealthy. And yet he experiences great losses. And moments like this in the lion's den. But yet God gives him, births something through Daniel. And he, he's a gift to the world about God's rules. God reigns. God's the, the ancient of days. And all the other kingdoms will fall down. But God who controls history will endure forever. So, you see, you see because... These prophets, like us, when you get involved with, with Jesus, you have to understand that you are getting involved in this, the cross. You are, and I am, getting involved with the crucified God who is risen. But that is not what our culture is at all. And that's why... It feels so confusing because why is all this going poorly right now? Why, why is my life seem so upside down? You see, every one of us will find ourselves in a pit, in a lion's den like Daniel. In fact, every one of you. There are no exceptions here. If you're going to be involved with Jesus and follow the crucified one. Now, let me just give you a little background here in the text as I, as I dig into this. Daniel, right here in chapter 6, it's during the king of uh, Emperor Darius's rule. He's gone through Nebuchadnezzar, now it's Persia, and he was a slave, but, but he's, he's risen up the ranks. He's a man of integrity, loves God, wonderful life, and uh, he's one of three men running the entire empire. And he's such a good man, uh, God's blessed him. The king, the emperor wants to make him basically the vice president. Number two in command, basically the COO, run the whole nation for him. But as happens to many of us at our jobs, others get jealous, they end up becoming resentful, and they want to undercut him and destroy him. Do you have people like that at your job? Okay. Then, so they set him up to fail. And they set up to get the king to sign this law that anyone who prays to anybody but the king gets, you know, gets thrown to the lion's den, and the king signs it, although the king loves Daniel. And then, you know, Daniel, you know, he's like, he's got integrity. He lives on the outside who he is on the inside. And so he has this rhythm. He, he prays three times a day. You know, midday, he, he pauses. He opens the window again and prays to God right in front of everybody. And ah, we know the story. He gets thrown in the lions then. And that's where we pick it up right here. And he finds himself in a pit. And now let me explain. He, he's in a... This is, so this is Daniel's life so far. He, he has been... You know, he started out in Jerusalem. He's lost everything. You know, he ends up in, in Babylon. And uh, some of you, you, know, you are, you've immigrated to the United States. And uh, you said, I came to the United States so that I would not be in a lion's den. I came here not to be in a pit. Well, if you're following Jesus, you will be in the pit. Okay, so the pit will find you. Now, understand that this is the lion's den. It's really, it's, it's a cistern. It's a well. We think of like the zoo with the cage and the lions and the trees. It's not like that. They, there was some cage way down below, but, but you were lowered into a pit, into darkness, and in the bottom of that pit was lions. So this is not a happy picture. And then they, they sealed the pit. Notes that in the text. That, that the, they, they, a stone was brought and placed over the pit. So basically you're not getting out. 
So uh, what's interesting is that Daniel was not preserved from going into the pit, lion's den. Why did you catch that? Dan, just like his friends were not preserved from going into the fire, the fiery furnace, Daniel was not preserved because he was a good man from going into the pit. Okay. Nor will you pre- be preserved by, from going into the pit. Now, what's interesting is, you know, the story, God shuts the mouths of the lions. Now, the early church of the first 200 years loved this text. Loved it. It was very important because part of the way the Roman emperors, uh, you know, persecuted Christians was they threw them into the Colosseum to the lion's den. And actually, you know, they, they, they'd be eaten. Children, wives, husbands, young people. I mean, it was horrific in front of thousands. Apparently, they say tens of thousands died in the lions, then in the Colosseum. So they, they love this Daniel's text. And as far as and what's interesting is they love this text. And yet all of them got eaten. As far as we know. Every one of them. And you say, well, why would they love the text? <laughs> because they understood something. You see, I'm saying like, like, because one greater than Daniel has come. Jesus went into the pit on our behalf. And he was, he, he, he was eaten by the lion for our sins and he died. And he conquered death and the evil one. And he rose from the dead. That's why Daniel has total peace going to lions then. He's foreseen. The fact that they eat me, it doesn't matter. God's alive. And the same way the early Christians went singing into that lion's den. Watching each other get eaten. Because they understood that Jesus is alive. They understood something about this. And how different they were than the wider culture. That they were able to go in peacefully. So, uh, so you could, I want you for a moment just to, to feel the breath of the lion. In your own life. You see, this is the message of the prophet. Things are not as they appear. Remember that as the rope is letting you down into the dark darkness and you hear the roaring lion in your life. Things are not as they appear. This is a bad day. Oh, God. <laughs> now, Billy Graham uh, is now 91 years old. And uh, in June, I read a, or early July, um, he said he can't preach anymore. You know, he's quite ill. But he said, if I could preach one message... Before I die. It would be this. It would be from Galatians 6.14. May I never boast. Except in the cross of Jesus Christ. Through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Galatians 6.14. I'll say it again. May I never boast. Except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Through which the world has been crucified to me. An eye to the world. I'm saying it's so radically different than the way we think and operate that I want to expound on it today. Because this is the message of Christianity. We are here bowing and worshiping our crucified God. And we follow him. And so our values and our perspective and our orientation to life is to be completely different than the Babylon that surrounds us. I am not what I acquire. I am not pleasure quickly. I am a follower of the crucified one. And I live and hold on to the cross. And so this summer, it's interesting, I I read uh, numerous times the Gospel of Mark. And every time I kept reading, I kept getting hit by the same theme. I see Jesus trying to tell the 12 disciples about the fact of, listen, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to be mocked. I'm going to be crucified. 
And then I'll rise, you know, then I'm going to be resurrected in three days. And they're like, I don't want to hear it, you know. And, all right, and Jesus tries to tell them again. They're like, ah, Peter, Peter rebuking him, you know, when Jesus didn't get behind me, Satan. And I, I, you, see, I, you see them in the whole gospel of Mark, they don't want to hear it. They, they, they don't want this. Just like I don't want it. They're thinking glory. They're thinking pleasure. They're thinking some power in this thing. They're thinking, where's the good stuff? And Jesus keeps coming back of being crucified. And he himself even struggles with this. When he has to actually embrace it and says, Father, if it's possible, I know you can do everything. May this cup pass from me. But yet not as I will, but your will be done. And so here's what I want you to do. God leads you to lion's dens. I want you to hear this. God leads me into pits. Just like he led Jeremiah. There are no exceptions. So, so here's what I want you to think about. Think of one situation today where you are in a pit. You are in a lion's den. You can, you, you're, you're, the top has been shut down. You're, su- you're suffering. You're disappointed. You're frustrated. You're experiencing some setbacks. And you can't seem to move. And it's frustrating. Now, I'll just, it could be, for example, it could be a physical illness. It might be cancer. It could be something emotional. I had a friend say to me recently, my emotional struggle with depression, anxiety, which is like a, which is killing them. Uh, some of you are you're in a spiritual season of just dryness and difficulty. Some of you know it's like to be single and wrestle with that. And you'd love to be married. It's a, it's a, it's a suffering, trying to remain faithful to Christ. Some of you are married in a, in a painful issue with your spouse. That's just, it's just, it is, you're in a pit. Uh, others, it's infertility. You'd love to have a child. You don't. Or, or you've got a child, that, and, and if you're a parent here, you know what it's like when your children just aren't doing what you wish they would do. And, 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 and the pit of carrying that when you could see the choices you'd prefer for them to be making. Mine go on from some of you, maybe it's rejection or being misunderstood. Maybe your job has ended. Or you're in a work situation that's very difficult. I had a few people come to me after even just the first service. Just their work situation is so painful with bosses or fellow employees. And I don't know about you, you know, one of my pits you know, often is I can't get my way. I, 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 I like to lead and control and, and then I can't move because God has shut it down. And it's a pit. And I'm like, it drives me crazy. I want to, you know, it's like road rage. I want to, you know, kill that person in front of me, you know, and get rid of them. But it's, it's a lion. It can be, it can be, a, it can be a, you know, lion's then. It's a pit and very challenging. So, you, and, 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 just, and just finally, I, I think waiting is one of the great pits. When you're waiting for something to emerge and it hasn't emerged yet. And waiting is such a, such a, such a suffering. So, you can grumble in your sufferings and setbacks. You can complain. Or you can make a choice. You can make a choice to go Jesus' way. To make the choice Daniel made here. You make the choice of the prophets. Of things that things are not as they appear. And, and, and you can make a choice for God. And a choice is going to involve three things. I'm going to expound on this the rest of the message. Meaning. You, there's meaning in that pit. There's love that's to come out of you in that pit. And there is virtue. Or, or really the essence of your character is to be transformed in that pit. Now. That's your choice. Most people in our world, including Christians, don't want to grow up because we want pleasure, fun, happiness, so quick. This is, that, that is not Christianity. 
That's American Babylonian culture. Okay? We follow Jesus, the crucified one, which is foolishness to the world around us. But God wants to meet you in that place and me. So you all have your pit in mind as we move through this. So I want you to just say the three words with me because I want you to remember them. Write them down as I take them one by one. Ready? Meaning, love, and virtue. One more time. Ready? Meaning, love, and virtue. So you have to write this down because you have to really think about all this afterwards because it's a lot to ponder. So let's take them one by one. Let's, let's, let's talk about, you know, God has an invitation to us in the pit. God has an invitation for you in the pit, in your suffering. See, Daniel, in his life, as he, as he gets accused falsely, and really his whole job, basically he loses his job in a horrific way. He's shamed, and he's thrown into this pit, but yet he's okay. I mean, he's like peaceful, and because he has a sense of meaning. He has a sense of, of purpose. He's got a sense that his life is significant. Even though the career has had huge swings. You see, God created you for a purpose. God created your life with meaning. And he cares very deeply that you fulfill your purpose. And that the meaning that he has for your life comes through you. He is more committed to that happening in your life than you are. And so as a result, he's going to be bringing you into pits. Now, some of you may know the name Viktor Frankl. He was a, constant, a prisoner in a concentration camp during World War II, Jewish. And uh, he wrote a couple of books afterwards. But he, he observed in the concentration camp, in the middle of all the horrors that were there, he observed there were certain inmates in the concentration camp that went to bed at night and did not wake up in the morning. And, it, and they weren't even sick. But they had given up. They no longer had a purpose. They just, they died. There's about the thousands. They'd almost, he writes, willed themselves to die. He says, but there were other people who went through unspeakable horrors that persevered and endured hardship that we could scarcely imagine. And so he writes about, he says, the only way to discern meaning in the face of suffering is to become active players in the search for meaning. What he's saying is that, that you search for meaning in it to find it. It doesn't always come to you, but it's got to be something you choose with your free will to find so he tells a story of a Jewish woman after World War II who went to see a doctor for an examination. And she's got, she wore a bracelet of baby teeth mounted in, you know, on gold. And the doctor noted the bracelet. It was very, you know, very pretty. And, and the woman said to him that each tooth had belonged to one of her children. And then she named each daughter and son according to age. And then she said to the doctor, nine children, and all of them were taken to the gas chambers. True story. And then the Jewish, and then the doctor was shocked. And he asked, how can you live with such a bracelet? And she replied, I am now in charge of an orphanage in Israel. 
And he writes, who, if not this woman, had the right to live a quiet, uneventful life, closed off from the world and cruel people who would have done such a thing to her? We'd all say, yeah, she's justified for being a recluse and hating the world. But he says, this woman did not choose the easy path. With every ounce of strength she had, she, asked, she said, in spite of everything, my life will be meaningful. My life will not be for nothing. And so he summarizes by saying, we often say, what's the meaning of life? He says, that's the wrong question. We have it backwards. He says, no, life asks you, what meaning will you make of me? What meaning will you make of this suffering and setbacks and disappointments? And that's what Daniel's able to do. He knows God's hands on him in Babylon, in Persia. And uh, Daniel has this deep sense of peace because he has a sense of meaning and purpose. And uh, it enables him to flow through pits very differently. Well, we were, a couple of weeks ago, Jerry and I were in the car, and we heard this, you know, listen to music, and, and a public service announcement comes on. And it's the, uh, it's the uh, CEO and owner of Stu Leonard's, uh, Stu Leonard's is a grocery, how many know Stu Leonard's? It's a big grocery chain up in, uh, especially Connecticut, New England. And uh, I think the closest one you hear, I think, is up near Nyack, toward, towards that area. Fun store for kids. And anyway, in this public service announcement, he gets on uh, and he, he, he makes this little commercial and he says, basically, if you have a toddler or a baby, uh, make sure that you watch that child in a swimming pool. Because my wife and I, we took our eyes off our 21-month-year-old for 30 seconds. I thought she was watching him. She thought I was watching him. And he drowned and died. And I was like, I'm like in the middle of the car. I'm like, what was that? Oh, my goodness. And then it goes on. And he's got this foundation. And, and uh, they, they, they made a pledge for their lives that they would do everything in their power to prevent this tragedy from happening to other families. And they've raised millions of dollars since the drowning of their child to save other children from drowning accidentally and training parents. And they've got films and books and all that stuff. Really interesting. But they found meaning somehow in such inexplicable suffering. You know, I was at my, my, one of my daughters worked at a Christian camp this summer. When I was there, there was a helicopter pad. Uh, you know, a helicopter pad in the middle of a Christian camp. And as I said to the director, I said, why is there a helicopter pad here? And he said, because there was this man, this was in Canada, whose son, and they say a certain statistic, like every 25 years, someone's going to get killed at a camp or something like that. You know, it's just odds of kids and camps and all that. And his child was, was skiing in a winter camp, and uh, there weren't some, some instructions weren't clear enough of safety. He went off a cliff. Make a long story short, he really hurt himself badly. There was no means to get to the hospital quickly, and as a result, he died. Time they got him there a couple of hours later. And so the father made his life work as safety of kids at camps and raised money. He's got helicopter in almost every camp in Florida and in, in, in Canada. They got a helicopter path. So that within 30 minutes, the kid can get to the hospital if anything happens. But again, just brought meaning. So some of you are, are involved in 12-step groups, recovery. And you know, it's the same principle, isn't it? It's that in giving back that there's meaning to all your, your pain and failure. That, that's, that's part of the power of 12 steps, you know, in recovery. So, so, so as you walk into the, the cross, you see, because Jesus is the one who shows there's meaning in suffering. Understand that God has got meaning and purpose in it, although you may not be able to see it right now. But there's a second dynamic that goes on, and I'm going to call it love. Daniel 
has love flowing out of him. And it's really quite amazing in this text. I mean, if I was Daniel in verse 21, because, you know, you know, he basically says he's marked. Oh, king, I, you know, I, I've, never, I've never done anything to hurt you. You know, I love you. Before you came, I would say, king, you're a jerk. You know, I, I got killed because of you. You know, how many guts? Could you stop those other guys trying to damage me? And, but Daniel's just, he's just overflowing with love. And, and you see, I don't know what your plan is for your life. And it's good to have goals for our careers. But understand, God has created you to receive his love. He has made you to receive his love. And to share in his love to the extent that your life is giving love to other people. I mean, your life, actually, the most important thing that you do is, is actually love. It's loving God, it's loving yourself, it's loving others. But that's the end all of it all. Now, I know that you say, i got so much going on in my life, I can't think about it. I know. That's why God has you in a pit. Because he's trying to slow you down. Suffering, setbacks, and disappointments will slow you down all right. But if you're like me, some of us, nothing will slow us down. We are like a Mack truck at 120 miles an hour. But believe me, God will create a pit deep enough. If you're his son or daughter here, because he loves you and he's created you for his purposes, not the world in Babylon's. And so, because setbacks and disappointments, they break us. You understand, like suffering makes you vulnerable and breaks you like nothing else. It just... It gives you the capacity to be a loving, compassionate person in a way that nothing else... You can't learn it in a sermon. You just can't learn it in a book. It is birthed out of brokenness and suffering. If you allow it to do its work, you actually become a loving person because in the pit, you are stripped of your arrogance. And I'm stripped of my pride, my self-absorption, my impatience. I've been reading a lot about the neuroplasticity of the brain, all this research about how we, how we, how we change, how we transform. God rewires our bodies, our brain, our spirits in suffering. It's amazing, but he's redoing you and you're saying, I shouldn't be here. No, there's purpose in you being there. It's meaning, but there's also God is creating and shaping you into being a loving person. If you're like me, you're saying, I don't want to be any more loving. I don't need this. But it makes us sensitive. The eastern part of the world, the eastern church, the orthodox church, has a rich history. And, uh, and they have this theology it's very important. They say the baptism in water, they argue, is not the most important baptism, actually. They say it's important. They say it's actually the baptism of tears. Because it's the baptism of tears that makes you compassionate. And that everybody needs a baptism of tears in order to become compassionate people. I know. You don't hear it a lot in American churches, you know. But there's a third one that happens in the pit. A third thing God's trying to do in you as a follower of the crucified one. It's your, it's, it's, I'm going to call it virtue or character. It's, it's, the, it's a difficult word to define. It. It's an ancient word used a lot in the Middle Ages. We don't use that word very much today. But it has to do with the essence of your character. It's like, it's like you actually, not just that you're going to be patient, you actually are patient. It's not that you're going to, I'm going to try to do good. Like virtue is like, you actually are good. It's like, 
We talk about prudence as another, like virtue is prudence, it's, it's, you know, it's kindness, it's patience, it's, it's goodness, it's faithfulness, it's, it's, these, it's these character qualities that virtue is, you don't just do them, although it's good to do them, they're so deep in you, they are who you are. And so let's take, for example, prudence. You know, the Bible speaks a lot about the wisdom of the prudence is to give thought to their ways. We're not, how many of you are impulsive, you know, hey, hey, make quick decisions, you know, emotions are, are going off with you, right? Okay, that's called, you know, the Bible says, foolish. <laughs> because the character quality needed is prudence, which is to think long range, to not be driven by your feelings and emotions all the time, but, but to be thoughtful and, 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 and wise and take everything into account and be level-headed. And so that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a virtue. Well, you learn that how? Through suffering, right? Through stupid mistakes if you're learning. I mean, if you allow it to do its work in us. I mean, I, my, I mean I'm, not, I'm not preaching here like from this place of great strength. Because I've been pondering this text all summer in these three points. My daughter gave me her money this summer because she was away and said, Would you buy me a used car, Dad? I said, Sure. I had a limited amount of money. It was her money. You know, looking around for a used car. And, it's hard. I was like, you know, people lying to me and all that stuff. And all of a sudden, this little project got bigger on me. And I finally found a car. My mechanic, who I trust, someone was selling a car. And it's not what he normally does. He goes, Pete, I got a car for you. Great. You know, it's, it was great price. Great car. Call my daughter. We got it. God moved. You know. <laughs> I go down, bring him the money. He goes, ah, Pete, the car is gone. Oh, what happened? Ah, the owner decided to, to sell it to a friend. And I'm like. I'm like, I'm Italian. You could die for this. I'm like, I'm just, I'm like, he what? And I was, I mean, I just, furious. And my own reaction shook me up. Because on a rash, I mean, if you step back rationally, I mean, there's thousands of car, used cars for sale in New York. I mean, I like there's not used cars around, and man, it's a, there's some money here. And but I was, I, I was like, where is my character here? What happened to me? And I, it wasn't until I stopped and settled down that I was like, oh, I got, you know, I got perspective. Oh yeah, God. Oh yeah, you. Yes. Okay. There's another car out there, God. And I just saw myself this summer, you know, and just, you know, so often I, you know, I, I didn't do so well in virtue and character. Uh, it surprised me. It didn't surprise Jerry, but it surprised me. <laughs> but you see, you and I make a choice, don't we? In, in your, every setback and every disappointment, every suffering, we make a choice. And some of you going back to school, some of your teachers here, administrators, you're going back to school or... In a school system that's broken and discouraging, or some of you are in a corporate world which is cutthroat, or some of you are in social service agencies that are experiencing all kinds of cutbacks, some of your students, you hate your school, and you're going to walk back in that, and you're going to make a choice. And the choice is you're going to be bitter and hard, and, and you're going to curve in on yourself, which is what Augustine defined as sin. Sin, rather than giving love, curves in on itself. It's bitter and angry. Or are you going to find purpose? Are you going to find love are you going to actually be changed in the essence of your character that's the choice you're going to make we make it all the time that's the choice daniel makes that's the choice that a prophet are saying things are not as they appear don't be tricked up comparing yourself to everybody else you belong 
to Jesus. The crucified one whom you're following. This is what you're doing. And there is great meaning in the cross. In deaths and sufferings and disappointments. Every setback and disappointment is an opportunity. And there's a rule of thumb. It's a basic rule of thumb. And that, that is the degree of suffering you endure. Is very often directly proportional to the greatness God is calling you. I'll say it again. It's a rule of thumb. It's generally true. Not always true, but generally. The degree of suffering you endure is often directly proportional to the greatness to which God is calling you. That is, that is not wasted suffering. Now, there's stupid suffering. And wasted suffering, which is when you learn nothing from it. I've done a lot of that. You've learned nothing. And you know what? It comes. And most people, they go their whole lives with suffering and setbacks. They learn nothing. They die bitter, caved into themselves. There's no love flowing out of them. There's no revelation. There's no purpose. There's nothing birthed. That's a tragedy. But we, friends, are, 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 we serve a Jesus on a cross. He gave meaning to the pit. Because he gave meaning not only to his own death, but to every suffering that would follow it. If we'd submit it to him. Jesus did not come to take away your suffering. Sorry. But he did come to show you that your suffering has meaning and purpose to it. God's doing something in it. Because your meaning is going to come from using your gifts and your talents and your brokenness and your suffering as a gift. Your talents and gifts to those around you to love them. To be to good to other people for the glory of God. God puts you in a moment in history. You're here today in this corner of the world. Right here in, in New York City. Because he wants to birth something out of your life. Just like he's birthing something out of Daniel's life. So the question is, what is God trying to birth in and through you right now? If the prophets had become bitter, no revelation would have come out of their lives. God wills that your life is a vehicle of prophetic revelation. Your life is a gift to the world around, around you. So let's do an exercise here as we close. Because really my question is, what would, you, what would you need to do with your life now? To make it possible that at some point in the future, you can look back and see the pain you're in. And that pain that you're currently in is a catalyst for meaning. It's it a catalyst for meaning and love and character change for you. Well, what would you have to do in your life right now? It's a big change for most of us. So here's the exercise I want us to do. I want you to, again, think of one situation where you are in the lion's den. Pit. Okay? Do you all have one? If you do not, you may not be alive. Raise your hand and we will pinch you. You know, the desert fathers used right off and they say that we reach our destiny by stillness and silence. I believe it's true. I know it's true for me. Because when I'm not still and silent, I see no meaning. I do not become loving, and I'm sure not having my character and virtue developed. So I'd like us to have an hour, but we don't have it, to wait on the Lord and discern how's God coming to me in this. So as you think about one situation where you're in a pit, that is where you're cramped, you're limited, you can't move, you're disappointed, the top seems shut down. I have three questions for you around our three themes. And I'm going to read them out loud. The first is going to be, what meaning or purpose might God have for you in this? It's a very different question to ask. What meaning? What purpose might God have for me in this? Now, you may not get an answer in your one 
30 seconds to one minute I'm going to give for each of these questions. But you may get something very quickly, or at least the start of an answer. Now, the second question is going to be, you know, what, how might God be using this to form you into a more loving person? I mean, have you ever thought about that one? That maybe he's forming you to be a receiver of his love and then giver? And then lastly is going to be, you know, what virtue or character quality is God seeking to birth in you? I don't know if you're aware, but you can only learn patience when you're with another person who irritates and resists you. Have you ever thought about, like, how else do you think you're going to learn patience? I mean, do you have another plan that I don't know about? Is there a pill that we can take? I mean, is there... I mean, that, this, that's it. I mean, it, it, it's called the cross. That, that's how you learn. You're going to learn to persevere by having to persevere. So what might that be? So I'm going to read each one. You, you, you might want to close your eyes. Up to you. And I want us to do this before the Lord in stillness and silence. 